Yes, it's time again for the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzi Vasugian here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Your host, appreciate you guys downloading and listening to another episode here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. If you guys want to interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzi Vasugian. Appreciate all of you guys that interacted with me on the Facebook Live. I know not the greatest game to go over, as we'll recap that in just a moment. But nonetheless, as always, I'll do a Facebook Live during halftime and after the game for each and every single game. Uh, I didn't realize how how much uh, the Facebook Live would have really gone. Uh, I remember we did it a couple of times after the Steelers lost in the postseason and after the draft. I've been doing it lately for the last couple of games now, and it's been pretty fun. A lot of people have joined in on it. If you haven't joined in, hey, never too late to do so. Give my Facebook page a like. Again, that's facebook.com slash Vasugian. Interact with me on there. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Share the podcast links on social media. Always helps out the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Let a friend know about the Chiefs on Podcast. Let them know about the longest-running Kansas City Chiefs podcast on the internet. And that is, of course, the Chiefs on Podcast. All right. Well, on this podcast, we'll, of course, recap the game in just a moment. The Chiefs falling to the Dallas Cowboys 28-17, 28-17, now dropping three of their last four games. What's going on with Kansas City? What has gone wrong for this team lately? We'll touch on that in just a moment. Plus, looking ahead, the bye week, of course. So, Kansas City, of course, uh, going into the bye week with a bit of a sour taste in their mouths. Uh, losing three of their last four and losing a game like this. Certainly not going to feel very good for the Chiefs. And I hate losses going into a bye week because then you have to spend two weeks thinking about a certain loss rather than just one week but I think maybe this could be a good thing for the Chiefs we'll talk about that in just a moment and what I think can happen during this bye week that'll help the Chiefs get a new spark and light a fire under their tail plus our closing segments will go around the NFL out of bounds and I'll throw a couple of penalty flags to close out the show but as always got to start off with our big topic, and that is, of course, Kansas City dropping to six and three on the season going into the bye week. Not a bad, not a bad record to have going into the bye week. But I think how you got to this point with this six and three record, not the most ideal way, losing three of your last four games. I think if you told me Kansas City would have won two games, then lose one, won two games, then lose one. I mean, if that's how they attain the six and three record, sure, maybe the pain wouldn't be as bad, but. When you start off 5-0 and the way you did and uh, then you lose three of your next four, kind of reminds me of 2013 when the Chiefs started off the season 9-0 and and then they only won two games in the remaining five of the regular season. And of course, we all know what happened in the postseason there. So it, it's kind of tough watching this team and how this Chiefs team is is playing on the field. They're, they're not playing at a very high level that they can perform at. You've seen this offense lately. It hasn't been great. Two really bad offensive performances from the Kansas City Chiefs. Back-to-back. You had the Monday night win over the Broncos, and then, of course, this game against the Cowboys. And listen, I'll say this. I mean, the, the offense was dynamic early in the season, and... Now they've just been very quiet lately. Let's just start with Kareem Hunt, who, of course, was an amazing story to start off the season. Still a Rookie of the Year candidate, but the way he's played lately, uh, he may be a little behind Deshaun Watson's injury. 
uh, may allow him to still be in the lead for that award. But looking at his numbers right now, he's been shut down for two games in a row. He had 22 carries for 46 yards against Denver. I still have no idea why he had 22 carries when he wasn't producing a lot of yards on the ground. Also had three catches for 22 yards. So for the first time this year, he was held to under 100 yards from scrimmage, which he's had more 100 or more in each game up until this past Monday night. Yesterday against the Cowboys, Kareem Hunt had nine carries for 37 yards and caught the ball four times for 24 yards. So very, very quiet last two weeks for Kareem Hunt. Now he hasn't had 100 yards rushing each and every single game, but that number's gone down each week and the activity he's had in the passing game too, that helped make up for the lack of not getting 100 yards and being able to still have 100 yards from scrimmage, which if you can get that from your running back each and every game, which you've almost had from Kareem Hunt, that's a you're you're getting a lot from your running back. You can't ask for much more, especially in an era where running backs they get beat up a lot. Uh, I mean, you 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 ask a lot out of them. You want them to run the football. You want them to block. You want them to catch out of the backfield. They really do a lot for for an offense. And Kareem Hunt's been able to do those things for the Chiefs lately. The past couple of weeks, though, and when your offensive line has gotten better and when you've been getting players back like Mitch Morse on Monday night, like Laurent Duvernay-Tardif yesterday, you expect the offensive line to do better. But in fact, uh, the, the running game hasn't really produced well for the Chiefs lately. As for Alex Smith, not a bad game, but not a great game either. 25 of 34 passing for 263 yards, a pair of touchdowns, one of them being a very lucky play that rarely ever happens on that. I, the Chiefs called it a Hill Mary, where Tyreek Hill, uh, really just a phenomenal play design. I, I'm curious how long the Chiefs have had that play in their playbook, uh, because that was very well drawn out. You see a lot of teams go for the Hail Mary. Aaron Rodgers has had some great luck with it uh, in the cases when he's had to throw a Hail Mary. And more times than not, though, you, you see teams not being able to come away with, uh, with with a completion there. So the Chiefs decide, let's just give it to Tyreek Hill and let's have two tight ends, Travis Kelsey and Demetrius Harris, be in front of him. And we'll have Demarcus Robinson also on the side there. Demarcus Robinson throws two blocks to pave the way for Tyree Kill. Travis Kelsey also threw a block, and Tyree Kill had to break one tackle. I thought he was going down right there, but got into the end zone. And again, uh, a fairly interesting play. I'll get to that in just a moment, but there are two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, the interception, first one of the season for Alex Smith, that came on a fourth down play when he had to make a throw late in the game when the Chiefs were down by two possessions. He was under pressure. No one was open. Taking a sack is not acceptable on, on fourth down, especially when you're down two scores and you have to make a play. So Alex Smith did something. He, I mean, he had to try to do something with the football. Uh, threw it to where he, he thought he, he could have had a wide open receiver or at least the best opportunity to complete uh, a pass there. And instead, it turned out to be an interception by Heath, who was hurt early in the game, but came back in. So just some tough luck there. Uh, definitely can't hold that interception against Alex Smith. Like I said, he was under pressure. You're down by two scores. It's fourth down. A sack is or throwing it away. Neither of those are an option. So we had to make some sort of a pass. And unfortunately, no one was open. So there really wasn't an opportunity of any sort of a good completion there at that time. 
I do want to get go back to Tyreek Hill for a second, and he only touched the football. If you take away that lucky touchdown play, Tyreek Hill only touched the football five times on offense. Never touched the ball on the first two drives when the Chiefs went three and out. And that is when both teams failed to score on their first two possessions, each team. Chiefs defense, they started out fairly well, uh, shutting down the Cowboys offense, not allowing them to do a whole lot. They got a couple of first downs, but forced two punts to start things off. But the Chiefs couldn't really return the favor. They, I mean, they couldn't take advantage of Kansas City's good start on, on the defensive side, and instead they punted it back twice to the Cowboys, and eventually the Cowboys drew first blood, scoring the first touchdown of the game. Run defense, surprise, surprise, Ezekiel Elliott ended up getting the nod for this game. His suspension still being figured out. That is something we're going to touch on later on in the podcast, but for right now, Ezekiel Elliott was available for this game. Run defense uh, played a little better than I expected. I thought Ezekiel Elliott would have had a 200-yard game against the Chiefs had he played, in which he did. But instead, Elliott was held to just 93 yards off 27 carries. That's a 3.4 yard per carry average. So not a horrible showing for the Chiefs uh, when it comes to stopping the run. Though Dak Prescott, uh, he used his legs three times to run for 27 yards and a touchdown. Generally, when you see quarterbacks, uh, when they try to go for a run like that, statistically, it definitely looks bad on a team's rush defense. But for the Chiefs, uh, I mean, look, uh, quarterbacks are, are... Always difficult to contain, especially a quarterback like Dak Prescott or Alex Smith, guys who are really good at scrambling. And for Dak Prescott, he was able to make up for Ezekiel Elliott, not necessarily having the type of game that is normally expected from him. Now, I said I want to go back to this. Before halftime, the Chiefs forced a third and long after a sack in Dallas territory. Two plays later, Dallas ends up in in Kansas City's side of the field. In fact, they actually got to Kansas City's 10-yard line two plays later to eventually score, and that was, of course, the Dak Prescott touchdown that I talked about. Then after a crazy penalty on a kick return, Tyreek Hill has that crazy touchdown play, which I mentioned just a moment ago. Great play design. Uh, you You had your tight ends, Harris and Kelsey, blocking for you, paving the way, and Demarcus Robinson, just a phenomenal job throwing two blocks to help Tyreek Hill just have to fight off one defender and eventually get to the end zone. Then there was another penalty there after the play, and that allowed Kansas City to start start off the second half with great field position since they were receiving the football, and that allowed that forced the the Cowboys to punt a little further back. So Kansas City's offense in the second half got going after Smith connected with Travis Kelsey on a touchdown to give the Chiefs their first and only lead of the game, seventeen to fourteen, and. Travis Kelsey, of course, the master with touchdown celebrations, had that cool uh, sack race game uh, with, uh, I think it was Demarcus Robinson, Tyreek Hill, and even Alex Smith got in on the fun on that one there. But after that touchdown, Chiefs defense, they looked good. They played fairly well, actually, to start off the third quarter, but then things just completely fell apart. Dak Prescott, completely unstoppable. He was just... Gashing through this uh, this Chiefs defense, Ezekiel Elliott, again, didn't have the greatest game uh, against the Chiefs, but he was able to move the football and help the Cowboys move the chains whenever they needed to. And from that point on, uh, like I said, things just fell apart. After the Chiefs led 17-14, to the Cowboys finished strong by scoring two unanswered touchdowns to end the game, making it 28-17. Des Bryant... 
their big name receiver had caught six passes for 73 yards. Terrence Williams had a banner day, nine catches for 141 yards, but it was Cole Beasley who really came through the most. Had four catches for just 24 yards, but half of those catches were touchdown scores for him. He had two touchdowns coming into this game. He equated that total in this game, so he was a really big factor for the Cowboys in helping them seal the deal over the Chiefs and getting a 28-17 to win. Uh, I mean, th- there's a lot to talk about uh, with this game. And, and I'll say what I'm about to say now can be said about a lot of games throughout the season for the Chiefs. The defense isn't applying pressure very much. When they do, on occasion, it's great for the Chiefs, but it's not done often. And the offense, for whatever reason... They haven't been pl- uh, playing the way they did early on. They're not as dynamic as they looked during five of their first six games, which they start off five and zero in the other uh, or five of their first seven games, I should say. One of the, the game against the Steelers, they just looked completely bad, and they tried to rally late. Which generally in that situation, I know the Chiefs fed off that a lot last year, but every year is a different year, and in this. In that game against the Steelers, it was just too late for the Chiefs. Could not come up with uh, with that interception. Phillip Gaines uh, letting Antonio Brown come away with that big play. And then uh, missing uh, Demarcus Robinson wide open twice uh, on the final drive there. But the way they looked against the Raiders, scoring 31 points. And I know when the defense forced a 3-and-out against the Raiders to give the Chiefs the football back. Unfortunately, the Chiefs' offense could not do anything, so they punted the football back to the Raiders, and we all know what happened uh, to close out the game there. But you get my, my my point here. For for the most part, the Chiefs' offense looked great in that game, scoring 31 points, but lately, though, for the Chiefs, uh, th- th- this offense hasn't looked good. Marcus Peters got that fumble recovery from Jamal Charles scoring for a touchdown then the Chiefs offense got going Travis Kelsey makes it 14 nothing and when the Chiefs are in the red zone Tyree Kill they try to go with this crazy trick play and he throws uh or, or attempts I should say a touchdown pass to to a tight end and throws it in traffic and it gets intercepted so I mean that's an opportunity where the offense could have really extended the game and the Chiefs just completely disappeared offensively in that game. The rest of the scores were the five field goals from Harrison Butker, who also had a field goal in this game, extending his streak to 19 consecutive field goals made. And again, I mean, the offense, they, they've been great this season, but the past couple of games, I'd say three of the last four games, pretty much essentially since that undefeated streak was snapped, this offense has been very quiet. Uh, they're not they're not as dynamic. They're not moving the football well. They're not running the plays that made this team look good. And I think they're running too many plays over and over again. Listen, we know game film is a huge part of prepare, preparing for opponents. That's a huge part of preparation. So teams know that when there's a trips left or a trips right or when there are three pass catchers lining, lining up single file like that on one side of the field... They should expect the screenplay. And ever since that failed for the Chiefs, I want to say that was against the Steelers, the Chiefs have kind of shied away from that a little bit. The Jets sweep plays with Tyreek Hill. And again, I'm not saying let's completely get away from it, but the Chiefs have run that a little bit too much to the point where Tyreek Hill didn't have a very good game when it came to running. 
Ran the football four times, had just nine yards. I mentioned earlier, take away that lucky touchdown play he had before halftime. He only touches the ball five times for about 20 yards. And that's not good. He had one catch that went for 11 yards. And then I mentioned the nine yards on the ground. Tyree Kill's a, a phenomenal player. You need to be able to utilize him more for your offense. And Travis Kelsey, of course, here's what I'll say about the Chiefs. And I said this on the Facebook page before the Monday Night Football game. The Chiefs have, according to Pro Football Focus, a top five rated quarterback in Alex Smith, a top five rated running back in Kareem Hunt, a top five rated fullback in Anthony Sherman, and also a top five rated wide receiver and tight end in Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. So you've got some dynamic playmakers across the board on this offense. But for some reason, this Chiefs team, they've been running so many of the same plays. But then at times, and even in this game, Andy Reid showed some of his creativity, pulling some crazy plays off off the playbook that we've never seen before that allowed the Chiefs to convert a third and short when when Alex Smith faked a handoff to Kareem Hunt and ran it himself when he had the option to also pitch it to Tyreek Hill and said he just kept it to get a first down. So there have been some creative play calls from Andy Reid. He has that in the playbook, but we're not seeing it often. And instead, we're seeing so many of the same things. The the trips left lineup or the trips right and Tyreek Hill moving around, trying to use him as a jet sweep on a play. And the Dallas Cowboys were not having any of that. Not one bit. And again, going back to the defense, this defense... This is just very frustrating to watch. This has been one of the most dominant defenses before 2017 since, I'd say, 2011. And even before then, you had players like Tom Bahali at the defensive end position, uh, Jared Allen as well. I mean, you've had premier pass rushers that have still been able to help your defense look somewhat mediocre at worst. And when you have... Justin Houston, a sack master, when you have Tamba Hali back, who, by the way, when he was applying pressure on Dak Prescott, he made life hard for the Cowboys' offense. But then you see a play-action pass, and Tamba Hali, for whatever reason, backs away into coverage when he sees that it's not a handoff, it's a passing play. Justin Houston's been going back in coverage. I mean, why is it that the Chiefs feel the need to get their premier pass rushers, guys who have had multiple All-Pro and Pro Bowl honors. Back away all of a sudden. The Chiefs' defense... Listen, the Chiefs' defense has not necessarily been dominant. Yes, they've got great players over the years. Guys like Eric Berry, Brandon Flowers, Brandon Carr, Marcus Peters, uh, Steve Nelson. Obviously, some of them have, have moved on and have left Kansas City. But my point here is, you haven't had the greatest secondary in the world. I mean, Kendrick Lewis, for crying out loud. But the thing about this defense is that they've been able to make a bad defense look mediocre and a mediocre defense look good. And that's because of the pass rush, the elite front seven that they've had. Like I said, players over the years, Jared Allen, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, and even a little bit last year in the first half at least, D. Ford was really making plays when Justin Houston was not available and when Tom Bahali was limited in his playing time with the Chiefs last year. So... For whatever reason, Bob Sutton's under a lot of fire. He's got to be. And I I saw a tweet. Someone was criticizing that Andy Reid's not holding him accountable. Trust me, he is. But Andy Reid's not the one that likes to criticize 
his players or other assistant coaches on his team publicly in front of the media. He just doesn't do that. Anytime he was asked about Travis Kelsey and some of his immature moves, Andy Reid was quick to defend him. He didn't want to publicly criticize him in front of the media. And as frustrating as that can be because you want an answer for that, you can still respect that because he that just shows that Andy Reid... There's a reason why these guys love him. There's a reason why these guys want to play for him and play hard for him. There's a reason why the Chiefs, as crazy as some of their games have been, they have battled it out. Despite having maybe two bad quarters or three bad quarters, they still battle under Andy Reid. And for the most part, they've been able to squeeze out wins. But lately, for the Chiefs, three of their last four games, it has not looked pretty. And... The defense not applying pressure, which they've done all season long, but now lately, it's starting to hurt them. Teams have figured out the Chiefs. Five games is plenty enough to study a football team on, on film and seeing what are they doing. What is it that that can be done to beat the Chiefs? And coaches like Tom Coughlin, Jack Del Rio, uh, and now coming off this Cowboys game, Jason Garrett, I mean, these are all coaches who studied game film. They realize that the Chiefs aren't pressuring quarterbacks much. So in doing so, they came up with a game plan to try to work around the pass rushers not going after quarterbacks. And here we are with the Chiefs standing with a 6-3 and record, losing three of their last four games. So I think some adjustments need to be made. And I think if... It, it, and listen, I'm not a coordinator by all means. I, I'm just a guy with, behind the microphone, as I've said many times. But I'd like to think that if you make that adjustment and have Justin Houston, D Ford, whenever he comes back, uh, Tom Bahali, when you have them go after the quarterback more often, maybe you see a difference. Because anytime the Chiefs do apply pressure, there's a difference there. Tom Bahali, as I said, he made life hard for Dak Prescott in this football game yesterday. But for whatever reason... The Chiefs are not able, or or they're refusing, it seems like, to pressure quarterbacks. Pressuring quarterbacks can be the biggest difference makers in in football games. You go after quarterbacks, and turnovers, of course, a big part of it too, but when you've got an elite pass rusher in which the Chiefs have multiple elite pass rushers, they can really make a difference for a football game. They really can. They can change the direction of a game and really just ruin an offensive game plan. They really can. And when the Chiefs are facing a, a, a right tackle like Collins, who is not very good, he doesn't have to do much work because the Chiefs aren't going after the, uh, the quarterback much. They're, they're not blitzing. And this is a fireable offense for Bob Sutton, who has been a fairly good defensive coordinator. I know in the postseason, people don't feel the same way about him. But, man, I mean, this Chiefs defense has been great for the last few years for a reason. And when Bob Sutton came in, taking over, he managed to really get this defense to play to their potential after the Chiefs let go of Romeo Cornell. So this is not this is not a defense that, you know, even without Eric Berry, they can still win without him. Look at 2011. He suffered a torn ACL injury in the first quarter against the Bills. The Chiefs' defense wasn't playing as bad that year like they are now. In 2014, when he had to step away because of cancer, this Chiefs' defense did not allow 30 points in a single football game that year, even in the games without Eric Berry. So this defense, and I'm not saying the Chiefs don't need Eric Berry. Last year, Eric Berry really made a difference in two games for the Chiefs against the Falcons and the Panthers, and that definitely was a big factor in the Chiefs winning the AFC West and also getting a bye week. But I'll say this right now, 
I mean, do the Chiefs need Eric Berry? Yes. But can they win without him? Absolutely. They can definitely go out there and deliver and have a good game defensively. They've just got to have a different game plan and not have their elite outside linebackers play in coverage so much or more than they should. 99% of the time, they should be applying pressure on quarterbacks. And for some reason, that just hasn't been the case for the Chiefs. I just don't... I, I I can't comprehend why. When you have someone who's who's good at something, you want to use their skills to your advantage. That's the whole point. You 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 build go you go off your strengths. And the Chiefs are not doing that on defense. They're just not. And I feel like if the Chiefs were able to do that more, they would have more sacks, they would force more ill-advised passes, and they would have more takeaways in, in the season. And they just don't. When you look at the numbers, the Chiefs have 18 sacks. That's 14th. Definitely should have more than that, especially with the front seven you have in Justin Houston and now Tom Bahali back. Hopefully, D. Ford can come back to the mix sooner. You have 13 takeaways, which is tied 7th with Green Bay and Seattle. Not bad, but again, if you're applying more pressure, certainly the Chiefs could be higher on that list. Let's not forget, the Chiefs led the league in sacks and takeaways last year, which again was another big reason why... They won the division, got a number two seed, and won 12 games. And I, I just don't understand why is it the Chiefs are not taking advantage of their strengths on the defensive side. I just don't understand it. Somebody mentioned this on Facebook, and I, and I tweeted about it as well. Uh, it, it's just frustrating that during the Dick Vermeil era, you had a great offense, and the defense just wasn't wasn't as good. They were they were horrendous. And then during the Todd Ailey era, I mean, you didn't have a, a great defense, a great offense, or a bad defense, or a bad offense. I mean, you didn't have really any of that. Uh, but eventually, the defense got better under Todd Haley and under Romeo Cornell and Andy Reid. And then in 2017, when the offense plays lights out, the defense turns into like a Greg Robinson style of defense. So it, it, it's frustrating to see the, how the Chiefs have been since uh, since Dick Vermeil came into Kansas City, it's either been a great offense and a bad defense or a great defense and a not-so... I don't want to say a bad offense, but at least a not-so-great de- uh, offense. Uh, and, and here we are now where Alex Smith, when we thought he had reached his potential, he's playing lights out, had 15 touchdowns or 16 touchdowns, no picks coming into this game through the first eight games. And... Fumble the football last week. That was his first tur- his first giveaway. And in this game against the Cowboys yesterday, threw his first interception. So, two turnovers from Alex Smith in the first nine games. That's, that's the best in the league right now. And this offense, again, has been playing lights out. Alex Smith, one of the best in completion percentage and a quarterback rating. Uh, he, he came into this week second most in passing yards. And the Chiefs, a top five scoring offense in the NFL. And this defense, if they can start putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks, giving them all the trouble in the world, you're going to be allowing less points, allowing less yards. You're going to be getting more sacks and more turnovers. And I think that's the most frustrating part. What I mean, this, this bye week, you've got some time to reflect on things. Now, I'm recording this before the Sunday night football game. 
So the the Raiders, uh, Broncos, and the Chargers all have a three and five record. Now that's going to change because the Raiders are playing. Let's just say the Raiders beat the Dolphins. And again, by the time you're listening to this, the the, the, the game will be over. Let's just say the Raiders won. They'd be four and five. The Chiefs are six and three going into the bye. The Chiefs have a strong lead in the division, and on top of that, let's look at Kansas City's schedule. The Chiefs get to play the New York Giants, the 1-7 New York Giants, and that'd be a really impossible game for the Chiefs to drop. It's on the road, but I think I've got some confidence in my Chiefs in this one. You've got the Bills, and I think that's going to be a challenge at home, but after that, you've got the Jets on the road. Shouldn't be a difficult game. You've got the Raiders and the Chargers back-to-back at home. And I know the Chiefs lost to the Raiders, and you can never underestimate any team, especially teams within your division, but the Raiders and Chargers have not been very good this year. And when you have them at home in December, where the Chiefs generally do pretty well at Arrowhead during the winter, that can really go a long way for the Chiefs. And also, by the way, to help add some optimism, the Chiefs have three straight home games after playing the Raiders and the Chargers, the Chiefs have the Dolphins. So you've got five winnable games right here. You've got the Giants, the Jets on the road. Then you've got the Raiders, Chargers, and Dolphins. Three consecutive home games. And the, the Dolphins won on Christmas Eve. That'll be the final home game of the season. Then you've got the Broncos on the road to close things out. And the, the Chiefs have had Denver's number for a long time now. So Kansas City... They can, not, not, not only do they have a strong lead in the division, they've got a fairly easy schedule to finish off the year. They can easily win 11 games here. So in the final seven games, I expect the Chiefs to go either 4-3 and three or 5-2. and two. I think that's how good this, this Kansas City, or this easy, rather I should say, this easy schedule is for the Chiefs. The, the only difficult opponents you really have are the Bills. And I would also say the Broncos, simply because the Broncos, I, I think they're the better team in the AFC West outside of Kansas City. I mean, they've got a phenomenal defense. I know it didn't show in uh, in their game this past Sunday, which I'll get into that as well. But I think those are really your two toughest opponents. And the Bills just recently dropped a game to the Jets. And you also and the Broncos. I mean, the Chiefs beat them earlier this year, and certainly they can beat them again. So the Chiefs. And by the way, I'll say this too. I'm not saying they're. I'm not writing them all as wins. The we all we all, we we've seen upsets before. The, the Chiefs have lost a couple of games that they shouldn't have already this year. So maybe you lose of those five teams: the 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 Giants, Jets, Raiders, Chargers, and Dolphins. Maybe of those five games, you lose one of them. I can take that. Every team loses a game they shouldn't lose. And if you can split it with the Bills and the Broncos, I'd be pretty content with that. I fully expect the Chiefs to go 5-2, and two, at the worst 4-3, and three, to finish off the final seven games of the season and go into the playoffs with an 11-5 or a 10-6 and six record. And that should be enough to win the AFC West. It absolutely should be. Coming off the bye with the seven games left, the Chiefs are in the driver's seat in the AFC West. They should be able to win this division. So it would be a really difficult thing to give away, given just how bad this division really is right now. It was the most competitive last year uh, with two 12-4 teams and the reigning Super Bowl champions that still finish above 500 but fired their head coach. 
And this year, you had the Chiefs, of course, starting 5-0. and uh, The Chargers had a winning streak going briefly after starting 0-4. The Raiders started 2-0 and when people thought they were going to go back to being the the same team they were last year before the car injury. The Broncos started 3-0, and and all of a sudden, you saw the Broncos run into a brick wall when they played the, uh, the Giants, and the Raiders slipped for a while. And the Raiders, lately they haven't been winning. And unless they beat the Dolphins in this game, which I think they will. But their only win, again, this is before Sunday Night Football, the only win as of late was against the Chiefs. Since then, they've lost the rest of their games after the 2-0 start. So this is not a division in which there's a team that's really competing with the Chiefs for the division title. The Chiefs have to take advantage of, of this lead and the fairly easy schedule to close out the season. You've got three consecutive games uh, at home, and these are your three last home games. The, these are all winnable home games. So hopefully the Chiefs can finish strong and go into the postseason with 10 or 11 wins and just get ready to start fresh. Some people are riding the Chiefs off in the playoffs already. I can understand the frustration, but look, man, if you can get a playoff spot, and I know the Chiefs don't have a great track record in the postseason, especially at home, but I'd rather play at home in the playoffs than on the road. I, I think we can all agree with that when it comes to the playoffs, or any game for that matter, but especially the playoffs. Don't write the team off yet. They can make a, a lot can happen from now until the final eight weeks. The, that includes the bye week and the seven remaining games. Not just for the Chiefs, but for the rest of the NFL. So don't write this team off yet. A lot can happen from now until then. Maybe the Chiefs can make the right adjustments. Maybe they can find a way to improve on this defense and play good football in all three phases of the game. So let's not write this team off yet. I'm kind of disappointed teams are doing that. I expect the Chiefs to be a one and them, but by all means, I am not writing them off and saying that it's completely guaranteed. If they can make adjustments, then surely we can all change our predictions. That's, that's never anything that has to stay in stone. So give it time. Hopefully the Chiefs can use this bye week to adjust because if they can, they're going to be a very hard team to stop in the final seven games and going into the playoffs. So look, and, I, and again, I'm not saying they're fully in the playoffs yet, but it would be very difficult for them to not make it. I, I don't know what the percentages right now, the, the odds of making the playoffs, but I imagine it's got to be high considering the lead they have in the division and the easy schedule coming up. So don't write the team off yet. Let's wrap up the podcast and start things off by going around the NFL. I mentioned this in the Facebook Live video after the Chiefs fell to the Cowboys. There have been just a lot of bad injuries this year. There really have. And the most recent casualty was quarterback Deshaun Watson, who's lost for the year due to a torn ACL. During a practice, not from a game this past weekend, but a practice that happened on a Friday. Obviously a huge blow for the Houston Texans because their offense really got going and started to click when Watson took over under center. And despite the late start from him for 2017, starting off as a backup and eventually took over, it fairly took over early, but still he didn't start the season as a starter. And... He led the league in touchdown passes with Carson Wentz, tied for first place, coming into this weekend. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a rookie quarterback. So, Deshaun Watson, very tough loss for him. 
And look, uh, he was having a spectacular season. He's got a bright future. If he can come back strong, stay healthy. Uh, and as I said, tough year for the NFL with all these injuries. Uh, we hear a lot about injuries during the training camp and the preseason, but we've never had this many major injuries during the regular season. Uh, just completely crazy. I do want to go back to something from the Chiefs game, and that is, of course, Ezekiel Elliott being allowed to play against the Kansas City Chiefs, in which we thought this was going to be the first of the six games in which Zeke was going to be suspended for. Listen, Andy Reid said, or at least he claims, that the Chiefs have been preparing for the Cowboys as if Zeke would be available. I don't know if I fully believe that. If they did, great. But the NFL, to be honest, I don't know if I really believe Andy Reid with that because it really sounded like it was for sure done that he had to go ahead and serve his six-game suspension, but the Court of Appeals changed it. It's frustrating because you can't tell the league that a guy is suspended and for teams, they can adjust their game prep for, for a team if... If they know, if they're told a guy's not going to play, but then when he's available, you only have two days to prepare for him. Oh, by the way, one of those days happened to be a travel day. So the Chiefs finding out on Friday and then essentially really just having one practice to try to figure out what they can do. Again, I know Andy Reid said that they've been preparing all week as if he would play. I don't know if I fully believe that. Maybe, Maybe he's telling the truth. I don't know. But the way it all works out, man, I mean, you don't want to come up publicly and complain about this because then it looks like you're going to come up with excuses before the game even starts. So, uh, But looking at the game, Ezekiel Elliott didn't have a major impact on the outcome of the game. Uh, was held to under 100 yards in more than 20 attempts, which isn't very good for a running back. So, I, But at the end of the day, still, the NFL's got to figure things out. They seriously need to figure out with their legal team. If they feel certain about a situation, then they need to make sure that the suspension is going to go through. He says that he's not an abuser. He didn't do what he's being accused of doing and what he's being suspended for. He says it's not true, but you know the, the whole Tom Brady deflategate situation. Tom Brady, I mean, there's no evidence that he did it, but Tom Brady was not cooperating. And the delay was, why are we suspending someone if there is no evidence that he's guilty well Tom Brady didn't didn't want to cooperate and with all the time that it all took eventually they came to the conclusion that Brady has to serve the suspension because he's not cooperating so now in this case Zeke seems like he is cooperating he and his camp but the NFL has got to figure it out they can't allow players to constantly allow uh, to go through with these appeals and for it to all be for nothing I, I mean this is just a long unnecessary process that the NFL is dealing with and it's unnecessary for the players too uh if the NFL really feels confident about a certain punishment that they want to hand out they've got to have evidence to back it up and it doesn't seem like the NFL really has much of a case here nor does Zeke right now no one really knows what's true and what's not and that's the problem the NFL needs to figure out a better way about this I don't know if it's Roger Goodell or their legal team that they have that they work with but they've got to figure it out. Let's go out of bounds.
talk about this more on my MMA podcast, The Cage Zone Podcast. But for those of you guys who are MMA UFC fans, Saturday night, one hell of an event. The UFC, uh, UFC 217 took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Three title matches, three brand new champions. Uh, just unreal. It really is. And, and you know what was so unique about this event? I think what what makes MMA so enticing is there are certain guys that people love and certain guys that people hate. That's the that's the beauty of the sport. And when there are guys you just really don't like and you absolutely hate, you want to see them get knocked out. You want to see them tap out to a, a submission. You want to see them get choked out in, in, in some of these fights. So that's what makes MMA so great is that you can have fighters that you love, and then there are fighters that you love to hate, and you want to see them go down, not just lose a fight, but go down with a beating. And I'll tell you what, the three champions coming into UFC 217, they all talked a ton of trash with their opponents. One specifically, the strawweight champion, for for those who don't know, that's for the 115-pound division, Joanna Jacek, who is a Polish fighter, and she was undefeated. She was 14-0 coming into this fight. Had she won her fight Saturday night, she would have tied Ronda Rousey's record for most consecutive title defenses for a female fighter. Joanna Jacek got destroyed in the first round by Rose Namajunas, who had a 6-3 record coming into this fight. Uh, very young, 25 years old. Uh, and I've always been a huge fan of Rose. Uh, I was re- I was really excited when they announced that she was going to come fight in Kansas City and, and got to see her in person, uh, saw her pick up a huge win, and that eventually gave her this title shot that I'm talking about now. Rose Namajunas, she has been very open about her past with mental illness and how it's uh, it's running her family, and in fact, she's even admitted that it's torn her family apart. And Joanna Yonjechech, she said that... Um, in her, she was quoted saying that Rose is not mentally stable to uh, be a champion or to handle any of this, which I just think is completely ridiculous to say. Uh, I, I really do. You don't take a, you can take a shot at someone or how they how they look or how they fought in their previous match. Don't take a shot at someone's personal life, their their health. Or, or issues they've dealt with before. I mean, that's a really personal deal. And Joanna was talking about how she had tricks up her sleeve. She, she had aces in her pocket that she was going to show. And uh, the way she got physical during the stare downs. And she also uh, she also uh, was quoted saying that the boogie woman was coming. And that Rose should watch out. All the trash that she talked. She got destroyed. In the first round, mind you. By the way, she actually... This was not a, uh, a submission win. This was a knockout win, which Rose followed up with a few punches. Joanna was tapping out two punches. That's how bad it was for her. An undefeated fighter who had never tasted a loss before completely deserved that knockout loss. And to lose her title to Rose uh, the way she did. Now, I will say this. The three losers... Again, all who talked a lot of trash in this uh, in, in this weekend. 
uh, uh, Leon Jacek, Cody Garbrandt, and Michael Bisping. They were all champions, and they all lost. And again, like I said, talked a ton of trash. I don't know why uh, this event, for some reason, all the hype coming into it, the three champions really made things personal with their opponents, and they all lost. Which also, I'll just say this, when you make something personal and when you get proven wrong, it's pretty hard to kind of show yourself and, and, and face the public, but... All three of them still did. All three of them did their post-fight interviews and post-fight press conferences. Ronda Rousey didn't, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. Ronda Rousey nearly two years ago got head-kicked to reality by Holly Holm, and she dodged the MMA media. She's done interviews with Ellen DeGeneres and uh, Conan O'Brien and Kelly and whoever the hell was filling in for her did a horrible job. Those are not journalists who are going to ask hard-hitting questions. And she dema- she requested beforehand that they don't even ask specific MMA questions. And she has yet to do an interview with an MMA journalist. And there's a lot that she needs to answer about how she acted before fights. How she got uh, too confident and cocky. And her demeanor was horrible before she lost her first fight. Then she got completely demolished by Amanda Nunes nearly a year ago. But it's been two years since her last loss and she has not done an interview with the media. These three fighters talked a lot of trash and immediately did their interviews after the fight. And all three of them said, I will be back. Ronda, I mean, she's just, she's just, uh, what's the right word for this? Uh, She's just a pompous person. She really is. So, look, even though I don't like that Ioana Jacek made things really personal going after her health, and the two other champions also were bullies uh, leading up to the fight, at least they still face the media afterwards. Conor McGregor has done some crazy things and has said some crazy stuff, but never has he attacked anyone's personal life or their families or anything like that. He's just attacked their fighting careers, which is, which is all fair game. That's what MMA is about. And Rose's message afterwards talking about how the belt meant nothing and that people just need to be nice. Absolutely loved it. She says that she wants to bring some class to mixed martial arts. I don't know if she'll be able to do that. But the effort, the attempt in that, I can completely respect. And I absolutely love that. Last segment of the show. Time to throw some flags. There are some NFL fans who are bashing the NFL uh, because, according to them, the NFL is attempting to try to get their viewers back because they are honoring the military with apparel and having ceremonies during pregame or at halftime. Alright, look, I know things always just get blown out of proportion nowadays, but let me just say this. If you think the NFL is trying to reel back viewers... You know nothing and you have not paid attention. First of all, if you're boycotting the NFL, shouldn't you be just not knowing? Shouldn't you not know what's going on with the NFL? Second of all, the NFL has done this every year in November. For years now, they've been doing this. And for people who just want to make a story out of nothing and say that the NFL's just trying to uh, reel their fans back in, not, not true at all. So if you, if you hear about this, let people know that the league has been doing this for a long time. This has nothing to do with the recent drama and the protests, with the ratings going down, with the political clash with Trump, none of that. It's just fans being idiots and trying to make something out of nothing. Oh boy, I would hate to be a Broncos fan or a Giants fan 
Each of those teams allowed 51 points on Sunday. Uh, it just looked bad. It really did. Uh, it, 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 it Just terrible. Uh, you can't win games and allow 51 points. You just can't. And by the way, the Broncos, who allowed 51 to the Eagles, that quarterback switch is not going to fix anything anytime soon. Not at all. This is a funny story. Papa John's uh, claims that they have a 13% decline in sales, and they blame the NFL. Of course, Papa John's, they've got a strong partnership going with the league. Peyton Manning, who has some ownership in in a lot of the Papa John stores in the Denver area since he moved there when he played for the when he got when he signed with the Broncos. Uh, really, you're going to blame the NFL and the protests and all of that for for your decline in, in sales? I mean, really, that's where we're going now. Like now, uh, I don't know. We haven't heard any other sponsors come out and, and claim that uh, due to their relationship with the NFL that their sales have gone down. And look. I, I mentioned this on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. People bashed Papa John's for this and said it's because of their horrible pizza. Let me just say this. My, my preference of, of pizza is Papa John's. I Let me just say this, too. I'm not too specific over what the hell my pe- where the hell my pizza comes from. If it's Papa John's, great. If it's Pizza Hut, great. If it's Domino's, cool. If it's Pizza Shuttle... Which they have one in Lawrence and then have it in other uh, college towns. Hey, two thumbs up because I love myself some pizza shuttle. I love pizza shuttle. I really do. But they don't have one in Kansas City, unfortunately. Nonetheless, though, look, uh, Papa John's, by the way, they increased their prices lately. And they're blaming the NFL for the decline in sales. Listen, man, uh, people have a choice. They can go and order... Pizza Hut, Domino's, Minsky's. Uh, I'm not, I've got to admit, I'm not a big fan of Minsky's. Every, anytime I take a bite of the pizza, the whole pizza, I mean, the cheese just comes off and all I have left is the sauce. I, and maybe it's just the Minsky's close to where I live is horrible. I don't know. But uh, nonetheless, man, really, you're going to blame the NFL? All right. Well, in, increase your prices and that'll just drive fans away. They'll go somewhere else. Oh, man. Sucks to be this guy. A man in Hawaii violated a protection order by contacting his ex-girlfriend, in which she sued for, and a judge handed a very unusual punishment, according to the Huffington Post. The man's punishment, he has to write 144 nice things about his ex-girlfriend. I don't know what made the judge want to come to that conclusion to make uh, that to form that punishment. Maybe it's because she noticed the guy could not stand him or or stand her and could not say anything nice about her while in court. So maybe the judge said, "How about we just make things interesting rather than a fine or going to jail? You've got to say a handwrite a hundred forty four things nice about your ex girlfriend." Listen, we live in a world where, let's just be honest, a lot of us can't stand our exes. I mean, there's a reason why breakups occurred. We, there's some negativity there. So having to force someone write 144 nice things about an ex, uh, I guess it's better than jail time or, or, or paying a fine. But damn, man, 
maybe not by a mo- not mu- not by much. Uh, so this guy, he's got a maybe it's a good thing. Look, I, I'll, I'll if I had to write 144 things about an X, sure, I'll, I'll I'll take that over going to prison. But why are you even contacting her, bro? There are a lot of fish in the sea, a lot of other girls out there. Just keep going. That'll do it for this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Looking ahead for the podcast. Of course, we go to bye week, but we'll still have another episode later this week. And then we'll have two next week. We'll have another episode during the bye week early on. And then, of course, we will preview the game between the Chiefs and the Giants. Was They'll be coming off their bye week. However, this week we will have Matt Connor, editor and writer from Arrowhead Addict, he will be joining us here on the podcast this week to discuss the Chiefs through their first nine games, plus the bye week and what to expect from the team moving forward. Also, Marty McDonald from Save Our Chiefs. Remember those guys, Save Our Chiefs, five years ago, the impact they had in giving Chiefs fans a voice. He's going to be joining us next week on the podcast. So a couple of guests lined up. They'll be coming on the Chiefs Zone podcast. So definitely a lot to look forward to in the upcoming episodes for the Chiefs Zone podcast. I'll have another podcast out later this week. Again, that'll be the interview with Matt Connor. That'll drop on Thursday. So check that out. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast. Let a friend know about the Chiefs Zone podcast. If you're also an MMA fan, subscribe as well. You can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Post them on social media. Always helps the podcast out greatly when you do that. Yes, and interact with me on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzi Vesugian. Give it a like on there. Follow me on Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And you guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Guys, I, I do have got to say one thing. The numbers for the podcast and for the social media interaction, uh, Facebook always provides numbers uh, for how, uh, how many interactions you have, how many people are participating. Uh, the numbers for those have been way up this year, and the podcast numbers have also skyrocketed this season. So, greatly appreciate everyone and everything they've done in spreading the word, letting a friend know, and also you guys yourselves downloading and listening to the podcast. Please do us a favor. Please keep spreading the word. You know, tell a friend, shoot them a text, tweet the links on Twitter, or post them on Facebook. Whatever you can do to help spread the word for the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Always greatly appreciated, and those help the podcast out greatly. Big thanks to you guys again once again for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'll be back this Thursday with our interview with Matt Connor of Arrowhead Addict. Until then, I'll talk to you later this week. Take care. Mm-hmm.